Psalm 61. To the chief musician on a stringed instrument, a psalm of David. Father, we thank you and praise you that we can continue in our worship. Lord, help us to focus uh, right now on your word. It's just these few minutes in eternity that can impact our lives this week and, and for the rest of our lives. We know that you know us individually as well as corporately as a church. And so we want to be aware as a church. We want to hear your word. But we also need that individual touch. So we thank you again for your word and that we can freely open it and read it and study it. We thank you and praise you for our service personnel, for those who are out defending our freedoms to do what we're doing this morning. We don't take it for granted. We thank you for them, Lord. We ask your blessing upon them, especially our brothers and sisters in Christ. Father, they would be bold with their fellow soldiers, that that they will be bold and proclaim that Jesus loves them because we know some of them will not come home alive. So, Father, use our brothers and sisters in Christ. Use the chaplains, Lord, that are sold out for you. Use them for your glory this morning. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Well, we don't know the background to this psalm, but it appears that it was written during a struggle in David's life. You know, some believe that David wrote it after he came to the throne room. And there was a lot of turmoil the first six and a half years. Israel was not united for the first six and a half years of David's ascending to the throne room. Or possibly after Absalom's rebellion. But again, we're not sure. What we can see, though, in these next eight psalms, not just this psalm, but in the next eight psalms, is that there is a theme of trusting in the Lord. Trusting in the Lord. Which is an area of growth for every believer for the rest of our lives. You know, when, when people come in for discipling, I call it discipling because I'm not a professional counselor, I'm not a psychologist, but I, the Bible says make disciples. I, I encourage people to realize And unfortunately, very few believers take this to heart. So I encourage all of you this morning in in mass discipleship that these things that I share with you are not a 30-day fix. You know, some people will come in when it's 11.59 in their lives and they want the silver bullet. They want the fix. And pastor, I know you have it. And I don't. I'm going to take you to the word. I'm going to pray with you. I'm going to comfort you. I'm going to do whatever I can do. But I can't salvage at 11.59. And so what we want to avoid is we want to avoid that 11.59. Well, how do we do that? By taking the principles that you hear on a Sunday morning or a Wednesday night or at a ladies' Bible study or a men's Bible study or, or at a home fellowship or wherever you might be, listening to the radio, listening to a teaching on the radio. Well, that was a really good teaching. Great. Did you hear anything? Did you really hear something? Yeah, I did. Now, are you going to apply that? Well, not really, but I heard it. And that's unfortunately what most of Christianity, otherwise we wouldn't have counselors and psychologists and all these other people. Unfortunately, even within Christianity, most of Christians, they, they don't. They hear it. Apply it? No. I don't got time for that. And so even this, this simple principle right here, 
It's a lifelong process. It's not just 30 days. It's for the rest of my life. Because David lived a long time and he expressed in the Psalms and in other writings his continuing growth of trust in the Lord. Verses 1 and 2. Hear my cry, O God, attend to my prayer. From the end of the earth I will cry to you. When my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. I just find that really interesting because often, especially in our current society the last 30, 40 years, you are the center of the universe. And if you would just get in touch with your inner self, you could fix all the problems in your life. The problem is when you get in touch with your inner self, it causes more problems because then you really figure out who you are. No, we need to stay focused on Jesus. Because David once again here acknowledges his need for God to be his refuge, is overwhelmed. Maybe you're here this morning and maybe you feel a little overwhelmed or maybe you are just flat out overwhelmed. Those two words there in the Hebrew, they mean to shroud, to envelope oneself, to cover. I'm just overwhelmed. And I'm looking, I'm thinking of the phrase here from the end of the earth. It seems to me anyways to infer that David was at the end of the line. He was overwhelmed at this point. Whatever was happening in his life, he was overwhelmed. He is, there is no way out, so to speak. So his prayer is that God would lead him right back to where he needs to be. The rock. The rock. That solid foundation of truth. And, and this is so important for my life and for your life. And as we, as I'm working with the, the teens, believe me, for the teens and youngers, for those who are younger, it's, it's incredible how the truth is no longer the truth. It's what you feel the truth is, which obviously can change moment by moment. You see, the enemy will come in to try to bring about discouragement. He tries to get us to focus upon our own ways instead of God's ways. And God's ways are always the best. So David, he knew that. And so that's what he goes back to in verses 3 and 4. For you have been a shelter for me. Obviously, the capital Y there, if it's not in your Bible, get a different Bible. Pointing to God for you. Not for you, my mate, you, my children, you, my career, you, my 401k. No, God, you, for you have been a shelter for me, a strong tower from the enemy. I will abide in your tabernacle forever. I will trust in the shelter of your wings. You see, David was able to look back and to say with confidence that God had been a shelter for him. And verse 4 may even give us an indication on where that shelter was because it says, under your wings. Now we mentioned this, I think, last week or the week before about the, I think it was last week, the, the mother gathering in the chicks. I don't believe this is the same thing because again, I think verse 4 gives us a little clue because he mentions the tabernacle. 
And under your wings, there were the cherubim that were molded on top of the Ark of the Covenant in the Holy of Holies. They were on that mercy seat. And David says, I will abide, verse 4. Notice that, I will. Not, I might. I'll think about it. If it's convenient. No, he says, I will abide in your tabernacle. And that's very important because the tabernacle was a specific place. And it was located at a specific location. Because we know God is everywhere. And he's not in everything. It's new age. But God is everywhere. So do we need a building to worship God, to praise God, to thank God, to pray to God? No, we do not. And unfortunately, that's why so many people are leaving the church because they believed in the lie of, well, I don't need a building. And in a sense, that's true. But if you read from Genesis to Revelation, you'll also see we need one another. We need one another. And we do need a place to gather. We absolutely need that. You see, David made a conscious effort to go where the focus was upon God. You see, if I tried to worship, I'll just give you a personal testimony. This just popped in my brain, so I don't know where this is going to go. If, if I stayed home and worshipped on a Sunday morning at my house, I wouldn't worship. Because there's so many things that need to be done. Yeah, I might give God five minutes, but then all of a sudden that thought's going to pop into my mind. Oh yeah, I really need to do that. And then all of a sudden I'm out in the yard doing something. Or I'm in the house doing something. Or there's a football game on or a sporting event or something else is going on or the, the kids are here and they're making noise. Can't you kids just be quiet? Or We need this right here. We all need this. And obviously that's why you're here. You know that. But I want to encourage you to encourage others that have stopped coming to church for whatever reason. Most of the time it's selfish reason or a sinful reason to get back involved. That we need one another. You know, Hebrews 10, 25 and 24 and 25 says this. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. Now, I, I've read King James for years, years, and years. And I love the King James in this verse because it says, And let us consider one another to provoke. When you read the King James, the word is to provoke one another unto love and to good works. And so I'm like, wow, I'm supposed to go to church to provoke somebody? That, that doesn't sound nice. So that's when you want to get out the books, like, like Bill is doing on Wednesday night, teaching about how to study the Bible. And all of a sudden you get out the books and you look up that word provoke. And the word provoke means to irritate. To irritate. To irritate unto love and to good works. Not to irritate somebody by sitting in their chair because you know that's their chair. I'm going to irritate them. I'm going to sit in their chair and watch what they do. No, because you all have your favorite spots and I know where you sit. No, it's to love and to good works. So when you know you're not going down the right road and you come into the fellowship and somebody approaches you and they say, hey, how you doing? And they know and you know that they know. And you don't want to hear them say, hey, why don't you just get right with Christ? Ooh, that's irritating. But is that a bad thing they're suggesting? No, they're irritating you unto 
love and good works to get back focused with God, to remember who God is. And that's why we need one another because when we're by ourselves, when we isolate ourselves, when we detach ourselves from fellowship, we can find ourselves doing so many dangerous things that we didn't want to do, but we've isolated ourselves. We've separated ourselves. And that's what the, that's what the enemy loves to do. You see, when we keep our thoughts to ourselves, the enemy can whip those thoughts into various evil scenarios. But when we share those thoughts with a mature believer, and this is what the men's night and the women's night is all about, they will help us sort out the truth and take those evil thoughts captives. You see, we need one another. We really do. For accountability, for exhortation, for counsel, for rebuke, yes, rebuke, mild, loving. For prayer, for love. You see, gathering together on a regular basis provides that atmosphere. And so even as I'm teaching this, you're here obviously, so you're going, yeah, I, I get that. But let's go out and help other Christians get it. That have fallen away or that are just willfully saying, I don't need a church, they're full of hypocrites. Well, duh. Yeah, so what What other reason do you have? That's not a good reason. Because you're a hypocrite. How do you know I'm a hypocrite? Well, because the Bible says, don't forsake the assembling of themselves together. You're a Christian. You say you love the Bible. You're contradicting the Bible. That makes you a hypocrite. Welcome to the family of God. I'm going to see you on Sunday, right? It's not that hard, but you can do it in love. You can do it in love. You see, it also builds trust. Think about David, the tabernacle. Through seeing one another's lives, we learn that God is shaping us into vessels worthy of use. Because I personally don't believe that trusting in the Lord comes naturally. But rather is built upon experiences. You see, David had to learn to trust in the Lord. (laughs) He had to learn to trust in the Lord. And he did that by looking back and seeing how God delivered him over the years. That's the same for you and me. It also came by spending time near the tabernacle, which which is what we're doing right now. Spending time with each other. Hearing the word of God. And when we have that meet and greet time, that uncomfortable time... Getting less uncomfortable and getting more comfortable and really reaching out and learning somebody's name. And asking them, hey, how can I pray for you this week? Oh, that's uncomfortable. Yeah, but I bet they're going to like that. And you probably would too if somebody asked you. It also came with spending time in the tabernacle. Hearing the testimony of others helps build our trust in the Lord. And so I'd like to ask you a simple question. I've asked this over the years. What's your testimony? What's your testimony? If someone asked you to share your testimony, could you share it in two minutes or less? That's all the amount of time you might have. Could you share your testimony in two minutes or less? You should be able to share your testimony in two minutes or less. You see, the world doesn't need 55 minutes of darkness and five minutes of Jesus. They know all about their darkness. You're not gonna, you're not gonna educate them at all about the darkness. They need to know what's different in your life. So you give them 10 seconds of darkness and then you give them the other what amount? One minute, 50 seconds of the light. 
And this is why I'm in the light. And this is what God has done for me. And this, and you sh- can you do that? You see, that's what David was going to the tabernacle for. To hear those testimonies. To see those testimonies. There's a reason behind all of this, guys. It's not just for social. Now, I know there's a lot of churches out there. It's for social aspects. Even in our community here, as, as we, I know the other senior pastors. We know each other. We talk with each other. And when a new church opens, we know there's an influx of people because it's the new church. What's it look like? How's it going to be? And then after six months to a year, they'll move to the next church. Oh, the new church opened up. Or they'll go to this church over here. That's not what church is for at all. It's to get plugged in and see how I can minister to someone as I'm being ministered to. You know, back in the Psalm 61, For you, O God, have heard my vows. You have given me the heritage of those who fear your name. You will prolong the king's life, his years as many generations. He shall abide before God forever. Oh, prepare mercy and truth. Notice that. That is key to what I'm going to share next. Oh, preserve mercy and truth, which may preserve him. Notice that. Christian, notice that. You see, it appears that David had made some promises to God, and, and maybe one of those promises, well, I know for sure one of those promises was that he wouldn't, he would not kill King Saul. He would not touch King Saul. It took some time, but David saw the promises of God come to pass, and he did become the king. Because one of God's promises was that he would establish and maintain David's kingdom, As long as David, this is key, as long as David and those after him continued to follow God's words. You see, God's promises were conditioned upon every king seeking and following after the truth. Unfortunately, this didn't take place, and it wasn't long after David's death that the nation of Israel started seeking after man-made gods. King Solomon, not even after 40 years after David died, King Solomon, one of the wisest people that, that have ever lived, one of the richest men that had ever lived, he started to worship false idols. Could it happen to us? Well, if it happened to the richest guy and the wisest guy, uh, I'm not either of those, so I would have to say yes. So be careful. Be very careful. You see, God's mercies and truth will preserve anyone, young people. This is so, info- this is so important for you as you're living in a society where truth is just relevant. It's what, well, what, what do you feel is true? Well, if that's your truth, I'm not going to say that's not truth because that's what you want. That's great. It's wonderful. No, it's not. It's not wonderful. There are truths. And God's mercy and God's truth will prevail, will preserve anyone who will follow after him. You see, may preserve him. It means to guard, to guard, to watch over, to guard, to watch over those last Words there in verse 7 may preserve him. They mean to guard, to watch over. You see, God was and always will be faithful. He always will be faithful. No matter how overwhelmed we might feel, turn to God's truth 
and walk in God's truth and live God's truth and he will bring you through whatever you are going through. That is a guaranteed promise. Verse 8. So I will sing praise to your name forever that I may daily perform my vows. You see, because of God's faithfulness, David had a heart of praise. Was he perfect? We all know. No. Did he make mistakes? We all know. Yes. Were they pretty big mistakes? They were huge mistakes. But he always went back to the truth of God's word, even after his feelings caused him to make poor choices. Again, that's so important for us as believers to make sure that we're always staying in the truth and not relying upon our feelings. You see, this allowed God to finish the work in his life that God had begun because David would always go back to the truth. Always go back to the truth. Which even as you read that that slide there, a verse is probably, you know, rolling around in your head. And so here's the verse. Philippians 1.6 Being confident of this very thing, that he, and the he here is God, the Holy Spirit, that he who had begun a good work in you, what is the good work? The good work of salvation. I'm saved. Praise God, I'm going to heaven now. We'll complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. And unfortunately, what takes place in most of Christianity is we get saved and then we take the reins because we're programmed due to religion. Most people are brought up in a religion. And every religion teaches you and indoctrinates you that you have to work for your salvation. So you get saved and you realize that, oh great, I'm saved now. But then we take back the reins of works. And now I have to, I have to work to maintain my salvation, to keep my salvation. Because if I make a mistake, God's going to get mad at me and he's going to slap me and I'm going to lose my salvation. That's where you have to read from Genesis to Revelation. You have to mature and you have to realize that's not true. That's not biblical. But the enemy will work on you and work on me. And we have to realize, no, God's going to complete it. But how can God complete it if I don't surrender? Just like the song says, Lord, I need you. Lord, I need you. Every hour. Every moment. And that's hard for us males especially. You females have it under control. But us males, very prideful. That's hard for us to do that. None of you females are prideful, I know. <laughs> Being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. And Dave, David shows us one aspect of that completing process is by being at the tabernacle, like you are this morning. But the encouragement is as you go out this week and you maybe pray about someone you know is out of fellowship to maybe give them a call, maybe meet them for a cup of coffee and go over these verses with them and say, we need you and you need us. Get plugged into a church. Maybe God will use you that week for that specific reason. Psalm 61. Well, Psalm 62. To the chief musician, to to Juduthan, a psalm of David. This man was one of the three music leaders. Truly my soul silently waits for God. From him comes my salvation. It is believed that this psalm was written during the uprising of King David's son Absalom. 
And this was obviously a very grieving time for King David as rebellion was now found within his own family and Absalom literally wanted to kill King David. David most likely is in his late 50s at this time. So he's been over the kingdom for 25 plus years. And now here's Absalom wanting to kill his father to usurp authority. So what does David say? Truly my soul silently waits for God. From him comes my salvation. You see, this is something that most people have a problem with or have a hard time allowing to take place in their lives is waiting. You know, that word wait there, it means stillness or silence. Be still. Be quiet. Stop talking and listen to God. Unfortunately, it's hard because we live in a busy society and it's getting busier all the time. I don't have my phone on my hip this morning. I never have my phone on my hip during the service. I don't need it. There's times when you need to set aside your phone. I don't have my phone next to me when I'm doing my devotions. It's in another room. I'm not that important. I leave it. I get it away from me. It's just another aspect of you. you we got to be busy. We got to be busy. We got to be checking Facebook. We got to be who's on Twitter. Who's this? What's the what? Put it away. Turn it off. We need time with God. Because we're so busy in our lives that that can roll into our spiritual lives and we expect God to answer our prayers immediately, if not sooner. Yeah, think about that one. You'll figure it out. Immediately, if not sooner. You see, God does answer all of our prayers in one way or another. Yes, but not right now. Or yes, and now is a good time. Another answer may be no, absolutely not. Should we live together and have sex before marriage as believers? Uh, do you really need to pray about that? I guess if you need to pray about it, pray about it. But I can tell you the answer. No. 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 It's just pretty simple. And then Wait which comes down to the need to wait for further directions. You see, there are times when you and I need to wait upon God. Wait upon God for that answer that is going to fulfill His perfect will for our lives. And this, I admit, this is the hardest thing to do, to wait. But we have learned this in our Christian faith over and over and over again, and we have been so blessed by waiting for God. And yes, we have our desires and we have our wants, but we have learned decades ago, stop and wait because dad knows what's best. He really does. But it's not easy. So I'm not saying this is easy. But if you can learn this principle, you will save yourselves so many struggles and pains. Yes, there's a time where you have to move. Got to move. Got to do it. And there's other times where, no, I shouldn't do it. And there are those, those times, again, well, maybe I should, maybe I shouldn't, maybe I should, maybe I shouldn't. Those are great times to just be at peace and go, okay, God, I'm going to wait for further directions. I'm going to be at peace with that. Because you really do know what's best. And he really does. He only, notice again in verse 2, he only is my rock. Remember in the previous verse, lead me to the rock? David is saying, you're my rock. He, and notice, only, only. Again, this is so hard for us because, you know, we have the banks. 
We have our retirement packages. We have our careers. We, we have our families, our houses, our this, our that, which become our trust. All of us, myself included. And we have to work at not allowing those to be our trust, but allowing Jesus to be our only trust. And all these other things are nice to have and convenient, but if they were to go away today, would I still have trust in God? I mean, just ask yourself that simple question. If everything was removed from your life today, would you still trust in God? Or would you question God? Where's this God you speak of? I don't have anything anymore. No, trust in God. He is my defense. I shall not be greatly moved. The word move there is to slip, to be shaken. To slip, to be shaken. Again, David is able to look back. If this is indeed the psalm, the song written about Absalom, he's able to look back at his kingdom. Again, six and a half years, a kingdom divided. The next 33 and a half years, a kingdom united. But now I'm in my late 50s, and one of my sons wants to kill me, and I have to depart my kingdom because I don't want to kill him, as you read the whole story, and I don't want a civil war going on and innocent people killing innocent people over my throne, so I'm going to leave. I'm going to leave my throne, I'm going to be humble, and I'm going to see what God, what, what are you going to do? Because I know you don't want innocent people killed. So what are you going to do? So David learned how to trust in God, even in the most desperate of circumstances. You see, he is the rock that our lives should be built upon. I know this is elementary. You're probably thinking, well, can't you come up with something deeper? Nope. Nope. His truths are unchanging and immovable. The second half is the deal, is what we're dealing with today in our lives. Even within our own family members, same sex marriage, or just homosexuality, or medicinal marijuana, or recreational marijuana. It's from the ground, it's from the earth. God said it must be good, right? All of these things that you and I have to practically deal with. This is reality. We're living in reality. I'm not going to be greatly moved because you are my defense. You are my defense. I'm going to stick with you. How long will you attack a man? You shall be slain, all of you. So now David is speaking to someone who appears to be a friend. You shall be slain, all of you, like a leaning wall and a tottering fence. They only consult to cast him down from his high position. They delight in lies. They bless with their mouth. It sounds like the Republican and the Democrats. They bless with their mouths, but they curse inwardly. Selah. Think about it. Think about it. They bless with their mouth, but they curse inwardly. False or pretend friends. They say one thing, but their actions prove otherwise. You see, a true friend, you might ask, well, what is a true friend and how can I be a true friend? A true friend will take you to the word and stick with you through your trials and your tribulations. That is a true friend. And David makes the point that these people delight in lies. They appear to be a friend by blessing someone with their lips, but yet inwardly they are cursing them. And so what does David do? Verses 5 through 7. My soul, wait silently for God alone. My soul. 
At this time in his life, the tabernacle couldn't, he couldn't go to the tabernacle. He had to forsake the tabernacle. He literally had to leave the tabernacle. He wanted to go there, but he couldn't because he didn't, again, didn't want to see innocent lives taken. So he's just going to wait, wait silently for God. My soul waits silently for God alone. For my expectation is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation. Man, David, why do you keep repeating yourself? Because the Holy Spirit knows we forget who we're supposed to go to. From 9 a.m. to 9.01, we forget. So David here is just the Holy Spirit through David is, is over and over and over again. Let me say it one more time. In God is my salvation, my glory, my the rock of my strength, and my refuge is in God. So David here commands his soul to wait upon God because David's hope was in God alone. You see, David knew his own heart. He knew his own heart. And if this was written during the rebellion of Absalom, David now knew the hearts of others, specifically his sons. And at this point, there was no hope in others in David's mind. It all came down to God and God alone. But David did have friends and a host of men that were willing to fight for him. And so there needs to be that balance in our lives. When we feel like everyone is against us, that's just the enemy. Everyone is not against us. You know, we should obviously trust in God first and foremost, but there are those around us who will come alongside of us and help if we ask. You see, God should be our refuge, our rock, our salvation. But be careful. Be careful that you don't allow the enemy to isolate you into thinking that no one else cares. Because people do. This room is full of people that care. But if we don't, if we're not given the opportunity to show that, then we're not given the opportunity to show that. So we as individuals have to give others that opportunity to show that. And when we do, we will really see that yes, you, you, you do care. Verse eight, trust in him at all times, you people. So David is exhorting those around him. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Because David did have mighty men, as you read the account, that were willing to fight for him right there in Jerusalem, willing to take Absalom out if need be. But David says, no, no. Trust in God. God has a plan. God has a purpose. He is our refuge. Surely men of low degree are a vapor. This sounds like James, right? The book of James. Men of high degree are a lie. If they are weighed on the scales, they are altogether lighter than vapor. Do not trust in oppression, nor vainly hope in robbery. If riches increase, do not set your heart on them. Interesting. As David is raising up Solomon, the Holy Spirit says this to David, if riches increase, do not set your heart on them. Because again, James warns us of this. That the love of money is the root of all evil. Not money. The love of money. And this is where a child of God, we need to be careful. Proverbs 23, 5 says, Will you set your eyes on that which is not? For riches certainly make themselves wings. They fly away like an eagle towards heaven. How many of you had riches in 2008? And before the end and through 09, where did they go? Let me search my paperwork. I know they're here somewhere. Where did my riches go? They got wings and they flew away. And there were people in this church that suffered immensely. 
And they could give a personal testimony. I won't use the names, but they have given that testimony to me and to others as well and in that private setting that they were sidetracked. They were believers. They got sidetracked. They put their eggs in the wrong basket. And God woke them up. God woke them up. And they got their eyes back on the Lord and realized, wait, 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 wait. I've got to stay focused on what God has for me. I'm sorry, God. And they got refocused. And then there's Romans 8, uh, 12, 8 that says, He who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality. You see, God will bless us so that we might bless others, but that doesn't always mean financially. But David here speaks of riches, so I wanted to touch on that. Don't let money possess you. You possess your money. And you tell your money what to do. And you use your money as you pray, as the scriptures tell us to do. You pray about, God, how would you have me to use my finances? I know how I'd like to use them, but how would you like me to use my finances? Because they're all yours anyways. And make sure that you're spending that time with God so that you might bless others. Verse 11, financially as well as other other ways. God has spoken once, twice I have heard this, that power belongs to God. Do you think David has only heard that twice? He's heard a lot more than that. He's just emphasizing, he's making a point. God has spoken once, twice I have heard this, that power belongs to God. Also to you, O Lord, belongs mercy. For you render to each one according to his work. Again, if this is with Absalom, David needed God's power, not his army's power. And God needed David's mercy, which might come through Absalom, might not. But first and foremost, David needed God's mercy. So the end of the whole matter, the conclusion to this thing, is that ultimate power belongs to God. Whatever's going on in your life, ultimate power belongs to God. Now, I know people hate this verse, so let me give it to you. Because Job made an incredible statement when he proclaimed, and he said, and Job said, Naked I came from my father's, my mother's womb. Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return there. When everything that Job had, he was a multi-millionaire in his day and age, And he lost it all. He lost it all. But he goes on to say, the Lord gave it. The Lord took it away. Blessed. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That's a hard place to get to. I'm not saying this lightly. That is a hard place to get to. But we have an example in the Old Testament one of the earliest books written in the Old Testament of a man who was willing to say, God gave it to me, God took it back, blessed be the name of the Lord, I'm going to trust in Him. David had that example. We have that example. Let's implement it, let's apply it, and let's work it into our lives. Father, we thank You and praise You for this morning. Father, that, that is a hard verse to get to. It's easy to quote and it's easy to read and say. But in reality, man, that would be a hard verse to to arrive at. So Lord, even this morning, with all of our comforts, as we go home and enjoy snacks and food and snacks and food and a game and snacks and food, if you were to take it all away, would we say, blessed be your name? It's a simple question, but it's a deep question. 
Father, where are we ultimately putting our trust? Where are we ultimately putting our hope? Where are we ultimately putting our, again, trust? It's got to be in you and you alone. For the rest of this is going to burn. It's all temporal. So Lord, help us to grasp that. Help us to implement it. Help us to live it. As we know, this will be a principle for the rest of our lives, not just for the next 30 days. This building of trust, which is building of faith, is a lifelong process. Help us never to become complacent, so comfortable that we don't challenge ourselves with these thoughts. Because you could take it all away today if you so choose. You're God. (laughs) All power belongs to you. So we thank you for allowing us to have these wonderful, comfortable lives. But never let us get so comfortable that we think we'll have it forever because that's not the case. Strengthen us, Father. You know, as the saints are praying, maybe you're with us this morning and and you don't have Jesus as your Savior. There's people right now, there are saints, literally saints around you that love you. They're concerned about your eternal destiny. This is another aspect of our gathering together, of inviting people to church because we love them and we want to spend eternity with them. So if you do not have Jesus as your Savior, if you know right now, I know of Jesus intellectually, but I I don't have him as my Savior. I'm going to pray a simple prayer. And there are people around you right now that are praying for you to receive, to ask Jesus, to to humble yourself and say, yes, I need a Savior. If that is you, praise God. God loves you. He really does. He sent His Son to die for you. So accept Him this morning. You young people, if you've been coming to Calvary Chapel and you think you're getting to heaven because you came to Calvary Chapel, you're wrong. You have to make a personal commitment between you and God via Jesus. If you're old and you've punched the clock for 50 years of religion and you think you're getting to heaven because of your punching the clock, you're wrong. You are not. You need a Savior. So pray this simple prayer. God, I need a Savior. I've been playing church. I don't know 100% if I die today, I'd go to heaven. But I truly want to know. I truly want that peace that surpasses understanding. Where if you were to take everything away from my life, I would be able to say, blessed be the name of my Lord. So God, I invite Jesus into my life right now. God, I invite your Holy Spirit into my life right now. I surrender. And I say thank you for loving me and accepting me. 
And that right now, due to this simple prayer, I have now become your son. I have now become your daughter. And I can now call you father. My father. Thank you for this wonderful privilege and this wonderful gift of salvation. Help me to grow. Help me to learn. Not just intellectually, but in my soul. That I would now surrender my soul, my whole being to you and allow Jesus to become my Lord as well as my Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Father, we thank you for this day. Bless our brothers and sisters in Christ and our community. And we pray that you bless every service that's going on in our state, our country, around this world. That you would be glorified and that people would come to know Jesus this morning. Thank you for this time. Help us to be faithful ambassadors as we go out into our mission field. In Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. Why don't we all stand, guys? God bless you. Jesus is coming back. Amen. Whether Philadelphia wins or the Patriots, it don't matter. Stay focused on Jesus. If you need prayer, please come up. If you receive Jesus, please come up. We'd love to pray with you. God bless you guys. All right, let's sing this out. Amen. Your word is true. Amen. We trust in you. Amen. Your word is true. Trust in you.